Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless Possible. Welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hi. Coming up on today's show, (laughs) TikTok is creating superstars overnight, but at what cost? Plus, the Bachelor finale that had the most controversial ending since perhaps the Honey Badger chose no one. And then Sir David Attenborough joins Instagram and the world loses its shit. But first, Michelle, how was your week? My week was far more eventful this week than it was last week. So I actually do have a story for you. This you have week, a story. I, st- I don't have a fucking story. I'm so excited to have a story. I had one of the most bizarre mornings of my entire life during the week. And I don't even think that's hyperbolic. I would it love the listeners it. to hear my story and tell me if they think this is hyperbolic. So on Thursday morning, bachelor finale morning, Mitch and I were lying in bed. Yes, we had potentially ordered coffees via Uber Eats because we were so lazy (laughs) and depressed about lockdown. I support that completely. I'm a huge coffee order on Uber Eats. It's so toxic. It is such a toxic (laughs) behavior. But once you do it once, I feel like you do it every day for a week. And then you look, no, you look back at your bank statement. You're like, where did that $50 go? All towards coffees that I very much could have made with my own coffee machine at home. (laughs) I digress. We are sitting in bed, having a lovely morning together, like trying to like slowly gear ourselves up to like roll out of bed and onto the couch to start our day. And we hear this noise at the door and it literally sounded like someone opened our door and walked into our apartment. So I did the very like weak thing of making Mitch go out and check the door. I'm standing there in like a gross t-shirt for a pajama top, waiting for him to figure out what the fuck's going on. I hear him open the door and then the next thing I see is I just see a flash, like a flash of grey past the door and I hear Mitch kind of yelp, not scream, but yelp. And he goes, there's a cat in our apartment. And I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, okay, it must be like a neighbor's cat or something. We are not cat people. We are deathly allergic to cats. I hate cats. I find them very, like terrifying. I'm worried about being scratched all the time. So I'm like, it's okay. I'll go out and I'll see if anyone's missing a cat. 
I pop my head out of my apartment door into like the hallway and I'm calling out, who's missing their cat? We've got a cat in our apartment. A woman from upstairs pops her head down. She goes, oh, I've got your cat. And I was like, no, 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 we've got this confused. I've got a cat that isn't mine. And she goes, but I've got a cat that isn't mine in my apartment. (laughs) And I thought I was dreaming. Like at this point I was like, wait, what? Like how is there two people with two cats and no owner who's come forward? (laughs) Then a tradie pops his head into the apartment complex and goes, is this cat anyone's? So I've, I've got a grey cat in my apartment. The woman upstairs has like, I'm not, I don't even know what colour cat. I never saw it. This guy's got a black cat. And I was like, what? Like I actually convinced myself I was dreaming. I was like, Michelle, you haven't woken up. Like this, this has to be a dream to have three fucking random cats roaming the apartment complex. Anyway... About 10 minutes later, a very disheveled, topless man comes like running into our apartment to be like, I think my cat's in here. My girlfriend left our door open. All three of our cats have escaped. (laughs) It took about 20 minutes to fetch the cat from the top of Mitch and Mai's wardrobe because it just like made a home up there and was not keen on moving. What I found funny was the guy who was running around topless trying to get all these cats back into his apartment was in that really relatable state of mind when you're shocked and in the moment, you just make terrible decisions. <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> he knew he had to get his three cats back. But instead of focusing on one cat at a time, he would like half-heartedly try to get the cat out of our apartment, give up about 30 seconds in, run upstairs, try to get that cat back, fail, come back <laughs> down, realize there was another cat in the third apartment. Like he just wasn't doing anything very well. Thankfully, we have been decatted. Benji nice. was very traumatized, but yeah, one of the more eventful mornings of lockdown. I mean, I hate to do, <laughs> I hate to do that thing where you hear someone's story and say, "Fuck you, I've got a better one." But I will no, never, I will never recover. One time, like yours is a good story. Yours is a good story, but mine. Thank you. About three months ago, in the middle of lockdown, just before I moved house and I was living <laughs> with my housemates, my boyfriend came to the door because we weren't living with each other. He knocked. It was about five thirty of an evening opens the door and this child just ducks under his leg runs into our apartment and sits on the couch and me and my housemate were just staring at this kid being like I don't know where he's come from and I turned to Ollie and I was like did you bring him and Ollie's like I don't know I couldn't I was trying to like block him out but I couldn't anyway he was there for a good five minutes and none of us knew what to do he was about four years old this kid and then suddenly a mum starts coming looking for a child and we realize it's this one so would you rather three cats on the loose or a child you know what I'd prefer a child I feel like with a child I know what to do with it with a cat no Mitch and I were like against the wall being like I don't know what to do it with was this a stray kid. child though I had no idea what to do we were all the, the best part was we were all so silent like none of us knew what to say because we were like what the fuck is going on we have a child just making himself home on our couch I can picture you guys all kind of standing around the couch treating this child like it's ET yes it was exactly that (laughs) anyway do you have any recommendations I do have a recommendation everyone needs to go watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix I will preface this recommendation by saying There's a lot of creative license again being taken with this documentary. A lot. A lot. A lot. Like a lot, a lot. But once you get over the dramatization that feels incredibly American in this production, it turns out to be quite a harrowing watch about the impact of social media on our lives and not just our lives, but our decisions and our behaviors and the way that we vote. I found it quite interesting. I watched it on the weekend as well because there was just so much hype around this documentary. And I found the first half a bit 
like you know you kind of waiting yeah I was waiting for it to really pick up I think towards the end it did when it spoke to how polarized the world is right now and I think particularly coming into an American election it was quite alarming and also clarifying to kind of make Mm. sense of online discourse a little bit more and how the algorithms kind of feed that and or actually Mm. not even just feed it create that so yes I will second your recommendation thank you so much tell me how was your week I have nothing I don't have a cat story I don't have a (laughs) decat story I just tried to what I tried to do was try to one up your story because I have nothing to say for my own week. You're that person who hears someone's story and the entire time is thinking, how can I one up it? How can no, I one up you know what? I'm not because I hate that trait. I hate that trait more than anything, but I'm so insecure about my lack of interesting stories right now that I'm so happy to be that person. It's actually such a bad trait. It is an underratedly terrible trait. Yeah, I agree with that. I want to know, like, I'm just curious now how you had a stray child come into your apartment and you didn't think that week this has to go on the podcast and you didn't tell me. Like, we tell each other everything. I'd never heard that story sure I've told you about the child. No. You haven't told me that before at all. There you go. Well, it's true. It's absolutely true. (laughs) You must have had a really fucking interesting week. (laughs) I know. I do have one recommendation for the listeners this week. It is an episode of The Cuts podcast. So The Cut have relaunched their podcast and it's really, really good. It's really good. I loved their first episode on optimism and I really liked their latest episode called Rich People Problems. Mish, I think you'll really like this. Listen, it speaks so much about why we resent people that have money but we also envy them too and Mm. they interviewed Kevin Kwan who is obviously the author of Crazy Rich Asians and they talk so much about our obsession with money and wealth and why also like I said we resent these people so much so I really recommend that listen the cut just produced things so beautifully so yeah get on it I absolutely love that. It sounds like a really interesting one because I I agree with you. I think my feelings towards super rich people are so complicated and I probably need to work through them with a psychologist. This week on the hotline, (laughs) we have a message from listener Gemma. Hi, girls. Just wanted to say I absolutely loved this week's episode of Shameless. I thought it was amazing. There was a slight point that you touched on in regards to Addison and Ray and Kourtney Kardashian, and I have a theory about this friendship. I would like to believe that Courtney Kardashian has taken Addison under her wing to help her navigate the spotlight at such a young age and teach her on how to deal with paparazzi and the online hate and how to deal with this in a positive way. That is what my theory is in regards to their friendship because while, yes, it does seem a bit of a weird age gap, I would like to think that Courtney Kardashian is doing it out of the goodness of her heart rather than for a little bit of extra limelight. Mish, this was a really interesting message to get this week because I know, as I said, for those who haven't listened to last week's episode, I did kind of say as the throwaway line when we were talking about TikTok star Addison Rae, who is a teenager, and her friendship with Courtney mm. Kardashian. I did say something like, gosh, there's got to be a conversation to be had about friendships like these that have such huge age gaps. But then I said, I think that's for another time. But I didn't kind of consider that this perhaps could be a mentorship and I kind of hope it is a mentorship because I still find even a friendship power imbalance really interesting. Yeah, I agree with you. I had never thought of this before Gemma put it on our radar that perhaps Kourtney Kardashian was trying to school Addison Rae with how to be famous and how to be famous very, very young and kind of carve out some sense of self that doesn't belong to the public. And I truly hope that that is the case. For those who aren't invested in keeping up with the Kardashians, Kourtney Kardashian has been on something of a privacy crusade for the last two or so years and that she is 
very adamant that she wants to protect her children from the public eye and she wants to protect herself. She really does want to pull back from the celebrity status that her family has carved out. And of course, there are questions about can you really do that when you've lent into that for so long and profited from it for so long. But I do admire Kourtney Kardashian for kind of sticking to her guns and I truly do hope she is right in the case of Addison Rae. And this is where we're actually launching today's episodes are. This is going to be our first segment talking about the youth of TikTok, particularly TikTok's biggest stars and how TikTok fame has erupted in a really conventionally successful way but also in a potentially harmful and dangerous way for its stars as well. We want to focus not just on Addison Rae, who Kourtney Kardashian has befriended, but also Charlie D'Amelio. Yeah, so these are the two biggest TikTok stars in the entire world. And I think what's really interesting is if you've never heard of these young women, that's probably not surprising if you're not on TikTok because they've actually really only been famous for a year and they became famous just about overnight. And I know that... There's so much conversation about how uh, overnight success doesn't really exist and things like that. But I think TikTok is one of the most prominent examples of how young people can become famous overnight. And it's really terrifying once you start digging into it. Yeah. And when we say famous overnight, we're not talking about 1 million followers. We are talking about numbers that rival the biggest celebrities in the world. So Charlie D'Amelio has 89.1 million TikTok followers at the time of recording. We're recording this on Sunday. I wouldn't mind betting by tomorrow, Monday, that's at least a few hundred thousand more. She is growing at an exponential rate every single day. Charlie D'Amelio's videos have been liked almost 7 billion with a B times. She turned 16 a few months ago. She's a teenager. Addison Ray has 62.1 million followers on TikTok. She has 3.8 billion likes on those videos. She is 19 years old. Now, I kind of want to give an overview, Zara, as to how their lives have looked in the last year since they joined this social media app, because I think it paints a really interesting picture. Addison Rae currently lives in something called the Hype House, which is literally a house of TikTok stars so that they can all kind of create content together, grow their audiences, be solely invested in this social media app. She is now the spokesperson for fashion brand American Eagle. She's splashed across television screens and billboards with ads for American Eagle right across the US. She hosts a weekly podcast that's exclusive to Spotify with her mum. She just launched her own beauty line, Item Beauty. Variety Magazine reported last month that over the last financial year, she earned $5 million US. She is, of course, hanging out with the Kardashians. This week, she was in a commercial alongside Chloe. It's all going on. Charlie D'Amelio has been on The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon this year. She appeared in a Super Bowl commercial for Sabra Hummus. She is the face of clothing brand Hollister. She earns more than $4 million a year. And this week was in a video with J-Lo. And I think it's important to note, Mish, those figures are in US dollars as well so far more Mm. than what four or five million dollars means in Australia I think Mm. for me it's just the timeline that blows my mind how quick this all came to fruition Charlie D'Amelio posted her first ever video at the age of 15 in May 2019 Addison Rae posted her first ever video in July 2019 I love doing this really weird thing when I'm trying to make sense of time and timelines I look back to July 2019 and May 2019 and think about where I was back then Mm. and then think about the time timeline that's existed in my life between then and now and you consider how someone has literally been picked up out of nowhere and put amongst the most famous faces in the world and thrown so much money at and they're so so young I think it is the perfect time 
for people to become famous really quickly on TikTok because I think now we have the systems all built. Like the influencer economy is fully fledged. Brands understand the new brand of celebrity and what social media metrics actually mean and what they represent. And so these young people can walk straight into endorsement deals and into a world that doesn't need to be convinced of their popularity or fame because Instagram influencing kind of did that for them. And I think this is why Mm. these people are becoming so famous so quickly. And it's the most unique and terrifying brand of fame I think I've ever seen. Yeah. And I think it's also different to the traditional child star. Like think of a Drew Barrymore being in E.T. I love that E.T.'s gotten two mentions in the episode (laughs) so far. But someone like her who was a child actress, like that is very clearly going to auditions for big movies, like you're kind of aware every step of the way, even if you are a kid and even if you are the parent of a small child who wants to be an actress or an actor, you're aware of that trajectory and what it might look like. I feel like with TikTok, posting one video and it going viral overnight and you getting hundreds of thousands of followers by accident almost, like doing something that all your friends are doing, that's a very different kind of setup to fame and a very different kind of launching pad, I guess, how random it can be. And I think this is what makes me so fascinated in TikTok. I'm a huge TikToker now. I don't post anything, but I love scrolling through the feed every single night. I think it's one of the most engaging social media platforms out there, probably the most enjoyable as well. But I've just been shocked at how quickly people can become famous and how quickly people's lives can completely change but also how quickly the tone can change about their lives. Charlie D'Amelio and Addison Rae, yes, are loved by a lot of teenagers, but they are also hated by a lot of people as well. And this is what scares me about the internet in general. I was actually speaking to my dad about this, how nervous I am the older I get looking at this happening to teenagers because you and I are in public career, Zara. Like there's no denying that. And there are really high highs and I love some of the perks of this job. But there are also some really tough elements to being public and being online as well and having a following. We are microscopic in our size compared to these (laughs) two girls. Microscopic, like an atom (laughs) compared to them. And they are receiving so much negative criticism all the time. If you scroll on either one of their videos, every single time one of the most liked comments will be the exact same. There's a trend. I'm going to read you out this comment because it just annoys me every single time. Y'all, stop with the hate comments. I can't like them all. Other popular comments on every single video point out how either one of them is losing hype or losing relevancy and pitting them against each other, saying who's a better dancer, who's a prettier girl, whose body is better. I struggle to deal with any of this stuff at 26 How are they dealing with it at 16 and 19? I am increasingly concerned about what social media is doing to young people and what it could do to their lives long term. Yeah, and I think the randomness of the fame would make the criticism so much harder to deal with because as they're probably trying to get their heads around their new reality, they're also then trying to get their heads around how much people hate them. I mean, Tom Lamont wrote for The Guardian in an interview when he did a feature on Charlie and Dixie D'Amelio and their parents and he's dubbed them the first family of TikTok. And he wrote, to properly understand a community and its whims, there's little point zeroing in on the gilded few who have risen to the top they don't know. Addison Ray told Hollywire, I actually downloaded the app in July, made a post with a friend and literally out of nowhere it got 93,000 likes and I was like whoa I like this. Dixie D'Amelio said in the interview that I just touched on with The Guardian if someone has never used TikTok before and they come on it they'll have no idea what's going on things go viral and then they disappear right away and that last line things go viral and then disappear right away reminded me a lot of like 
a tornado that this app Mm. is building young people up to huge levels and then moving on really quickly, leaving only damage in its wake as if they mattered and now they don't. And I think having watched The Social Dilemma this weekend, Mish has cast a real eye over these algorithms and how they are designed to make young people feel empty and void by building them up and then making them feel like they don't matter. I mean, there was a really horrifying stat in that doco that said social media has led to a tripling of self-harm among preteens. And we're talking from the age of 10 to 14, I think, in the US Mm. and 150% rise in suicides in that same age bracket. That's from the documentary and those stats are from the US and they are terrifying. And I think algorithms like this and apps like this have so much to answer for. Mm. And for that reason, I truly hope they have support around them, whether or not that's a Kardashian sister or it's someone else in the public eye who has reached out and tried to take these women under their wing. And I say women, really girls, these girls under their wing. I said women before too, but I was like, it's, they're they're young, they're tiny young girls. Yeah. Uh, And this is the other thing as well. I read that same article that you just touched on Zara by Tom Lamont in The Guardian. And one thing I took out, I didn't write it down in my notes, but one thing that stuck with me was how Charlie is scared of doing something or saying something or partnering with a brand and then being cancelled. I do find it anxiety inducing to think that this 16-year-old girl is so anxious about putting something online that she's going to be slammed for. I feel like if my 16-year-old self was online, I would 100% walk into clusterfucks. I would 100% make mistakes. And I think all of us would say the same thing for when we were teenagers. I think any of us could scroll through our Facebook timelines and see things that we don't stand by now and that we would really change if we were writing the same status today. I cannot imagine having your celebrity and your image built around who you are as a teenager because as teenagers, we're all messy and complicated and we need time to find ourselves. And I don't know how the hell you'd find yourself when you've got 89 million sets of eyeballs watching you. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle Zara, Alice with an E, McDonald, what have you got for me? Hello, my first story. Demi Lovato splits with fiancé Max Eric and thinks he's sketchy. That is from news.com. Mish, Demi Lovato and Max Eric have only been together for six months. They got engaged after about two, am I right? Yeah, I think they only got engaged after a few. Everyone's calling this like a pandemic engagement or a pandemic relationship. (laughs) Which is kind of hard, but also kind of true. I'm pretty sure if we didn't get on this podcast and say in a quick and dirty story that we don't really think it's a great idea to get engaged so soon, we definitely said it in like texts to each other. So I'm not overly surprised. Like I do always raise an eyebrow when someone comes out. It's like, we're engaged. We've been together for 60 days. I'm like, how the how do you know each other after 60 days? The nature of this breakup is very interesting. What ended up happening is rumors started swirling and kind of bad press started surrounding the relationship when online users, <laughs> online users, what the fuck, uh, internet people began questioning Eric's intentions because they shared what they claimed to be screenshots of him commenting on old posts of Selena Gomez's. And these were what appeared to be old comments too. But according to the screenshots, Eric had asked Gomez, who has been historically Demi Lovato's best friend, to marry him in the comments of her Instagram lives, has admitted publicly in the past to having a major crush on her in a different video. In a separate set of posts that fans believe that he wrote, Eric appeared to directly compare Gomez to Lovato. This story, this really odd story came about and two days later, 
they've split. I think it's probably a little bit short-sighted to kind of say that correlation equals causation, but I do think it's an interesting time to see that happen. I kind of do think it's related, though. Like, if it wasn't related, wouldn't they say, and, like, if it was all amicable and fine and this had happened weeks before, wouldn't you be like, okay, well, let's delay the announcement by a month so that people don't connect the dots? Like, clearly this this has happened and then Demi Lovato has gone, fuck you, I'm going to put this into the mainstream and everyone's going to figure out exactly what's happened here. Like, why else would she push this into the public discourse now? Well, she did say that she believed the top posts were doctored and were fake. So she came out and she was like, stop trying to pit two women against each other. But what is interesting is this story went over both of our heads in April, but in April, Fans accused Demi Lovato of having a private Instagram account called Trauma Queen Forever that appeared to be full of like anti-Selena Gomez content. And they suspected that Demi Lovato was at the helm of that account because she accidentally went live on Instagram from that handle. Yeah. Went live from Trauma Queen Forever and that yes. exposed her to the world. I don't know how, how did we miss that. I know because the hashtag Demi Lovato is over party began trending on Twitter. And then Lovato's team came out and said, no, no, these were all doctored too. These screenshots were all doctored. So a lot of what similar messaging from Demi Lovato's team being pushed into the public domain. But I just find all of these stories around them very, very interesting. I'm not sure what's going on. I don't know if it's the public feeling desperate to pit Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato against each other because if if you know mm. there's anything we love to do, it's to pit two women against each other. Or if there is something genuinely simmering here that could just sort of be playing out publicly. If this genuinely happened, I kind of enjoy the idea that celebrities can also be trolls. Like in my head, I've always thought, oh, trolls are people who hate celebrities. But imagine if celebrities are trolling each other as well. Like that is such an interesting, when I say love, I find it interesting. I don't actually (laughs) endorse it, but I do find that really fascinating. This would be like me having a fake account with (laughs) anti-Andrew's content and then accidentally going live on the account. Oh my God, (laughs) you can't make this shit up. My second story, world hottest men Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are playing lovers in an acclaimed new movie that is from Junkie. I love these two. I just love them. I don't know when the love affair began for either. They have like, I'm trying to think of the kind of relationship. I would say they have hot uncle vibes, but that sounds really incestuous (laughs) and gross. I feel like Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci are like, Hot boss vibes, maybe. Why don't you fair? just say hot middle-aged men vibes? That's literally what nah, it is. Nah, because you know what their type of hot is? Their type of hot isn't conventional hot. They're not hot like Brad Pitt. They're hot like relatable, real-world hot, not Hollywood hot. Yeah, they're hot that you'd probably date despite the age gap. They're hot as in your boss, like someone you'd meet in real life oh, yeah, who's actually, like you know generally what? pretty hot. I take it all back. It's it's hot middle-aged boss vibe. Not that either of us <laughs> ever had male bosses because we've worked in like purely female <laughs> workplaces. But anyway, what I want to do is I want to go back to the original point, which is the synopsis of this film looks amazing. I mean, I was going to be pulled in because of Colin Firth and Stanley Tucci anyway, but Firth and Tucci star as Sam and Tusker, who have been a couple for 20 years, and together they embark on a road trip across northern England because one of the characters, Tusker, has been diagnosed with early-onset dementia. So it's like their last travelling together as a couple who have been together for 20 years as one of them is about to lose his memory. It's already tugging at my heart. And yours too. When does it come out? Do we know? Fuck knows. Live Google search? <laughs> yeah, Google it. What's the movie called? Did we even figure that out? Oh, yeah, Supernova. I didn't actually say that. Supernova. Oh, 
honeys. I can't find the release date. Sorry, everyone. Yeah, whatever. You know what? People, the listeners can do their own Googling. (laughs) 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 They can if they like. Now, whatever. If we find out, we'll put it in the show notes for now. But I've got to move on to my third story. Our baby girl is here. Victoria's Secret model Gigi Hadid has given birth. That is from the Daily Telegraph. What a sweet little baby. Sorry to interrupt the Gigi Hadid headline. Supernova has been released internationally this week, but God knows when it's going to hit Australia. On to <laughs> Gigi Hadid. I'm a little bit sad that we don't know the name yet. I feel like it's always a bit anticlimactic when we get just an announcement and like an obscure photo. Not that I'm asking them to reveal everything about their lives. I get they want privacy, but just the name would be lovely. My favourite part about this story is Gigi Hadid's dad, Muhammad Hadid, who is dare I say, quite chaotic online. I don't know if you've ever followed (laughs) or stalked Muhammad Hadid, but he's one of the more underratedly chaotic people on Instagram or parents (laughs) on Instagram. And I loved that on the day that the baby was reportedly born, he wrote a poem about being a granddad to a baby daughter posted (laughs) on Instagram. And everyone's like, um, they haven't even announced the birth. And then he deleted it. Such a dorky dad vibe. I kind of love it though. Like, I love that he wrote his grandchild that beautiful letter and published it. I can imagine Gigi and Zayn would have been pretty pissed off, hence why I think he deleted it early. But I also kind of love Muhammad who did so much. I might make one comment that's probably not that appropriate. But in Zayn's photo of the baby, the baby's (laughs) fingernails are huge. Oh my god, the baby's nails are so long. I think it must be the angle. It must be the angle of the photo. But they are quite human fingernails for a newborn baby. I'll just say that. The scratchiness just stuck out to me. Like you'd get you'd get scratched by your own child. I didn't realize babies had nails like that when they're born. And babies' fingernails are just like so remarkable because they're so tinsy, but it's like yeah. so human. <laughs> why are we here <laughs> i don't know my fourth story <laughs> megan the stallion's lawyer reportedly fires back at tory lane's team a smear campaign can't change the truth that is from complex.com zara i think it's megan the stallion oh it so is it's a classic we both struggle with megan megan versus we really megan. do struggle with yeah megan megan gets us every single time it's like christy and kirsty also trumps me every single time <laughs> it is megan the stallion for those who missed this i'm gonna read out the tweet that halsey put out this week because i think she really encapsulated the feeling so basically apple music tweeted saying that tori lane's new song which is called daystar was number one on the charts that week and halsey tweeted i'm sorry but i really can't believe whoever is listening to this and letting this man speak on and profit off of his violence towards someone we know and love of course that violence was allegedly towards Megan the Stallion who was shot in both feet on July 12 and eventually came out and did say that rapper Tory Lanez was the man who shot her it's an incredibly messed up story like incredibly messed up story particularly when it comes to the fact that the song Daystar does address a lot of Megan's allegations and does refute the fact that he is alleged to have pulled the trigger I just don't know how you can so quickly spin this story in a way that Tory Lanez has been able to like he just must have a team of huge enablers around him who have a huge stake in his career a lot of money to be made so they're more than happy to smear a woman who was allegedly at the hands of extreme and terrifying violence imagine having the audacity to not just allegedly and i'll say allegedly because he hasn't been convicted yet but allegedly assault someone and shoot them 
and then having the audacity to profit off that violence. Like the mind boggles at how someone like this is successful in the industry and how so many people in executive teams allow that success to thrive and blossom and bloom. I feel like more people should be calling this out and more people should be deplatforming him or not giving him this golden pathway to make as much money off of that incident as he wants. Yeah, absolutely. And my fifth story, Zendaya makes Emmy's history and sends message of hope in young people. That is from BBC News. And firstly, what a strange Emmys it was before we get to Zendaya. Did you see the videos on Twitter going around of the <laughs> the people that were hired to stand outside the homes of people nominated in full PPE with the Emmy and then they'd just wave and leave if that person didn't win? Literally in like hazmat suits. Uh, yeah. In hazmat suits just standing at the door waiting to see if they were going to have to hand the Emmy over or not. It was like the most depressing visual image of 2020 it was kind of like watching all your hopes and dreams of the year just kind of trail back down the pathway and drive off it was really really funny to see Zendaya meanwhile was the youngest person in history to win an Emmy for best actress she is just 24 years old and won the award for the drama series Euphoria which neither of us have watched Mish but I always um, come out of the Emmys so intrigued about the TV shows that win big and I have to say Euphoria and Shit's Creek are really on my mind as shows I feel like I've missed the bandwagon on and need to jump on. I'm sick of people telling me to watch four seasons of Shit's Creek Agree. before it gets good. Agree. No one has that time. It's I would such prefer to bullshit. Have the first... It is bullshit. I would prefer to watch a good few seasons and then trail off like Suits, like you give up around season five. Everyone does. I'm not going to invest for three mediocre or four mediocre seasons to finally get some like payoff at the end. That's not how life works. I do want to talk though about <laughs> who Zendaya beat because it's not like she had a weak talent pool that she was up against. She was up against the best of the bloody best in Hollywood. So she beat out Sandra Oh, Laura Linney, Olivia Coleman, Jennifer Aniston, Jodie Comer. Like I cannot believe the caliber of talent that this 24-year-old beat. She's incredible. I mean, I know we spent a good portion of our episode, I think it was last week or the week before, talking about her perfect selfie, but she also is a little bit more than her perfect (laughs) selfie. She is a real force for good and change in the industry. She's very good at her job. She said in her speech, I know this feels like a really weird time to be celebrating. I just want to say there is hope in the young people out there. I know that our TV show doesn't always feel like a great example of that, but there is hope in our young people. And I just want to say to all my peers out there doing the work in the streets, I see you, I admire you, I thank you. I think she's an awesome example to have in the public eye for young people. I love her. I love her so much. She is like my new goal for Shameless in Conversation. Imagine if we got Zendaya on. I know, but now I think that's shooting about as high as there is. (laughs) Don't you reckon? (sighs) Her and Michelle Obama are (laughs) my new priorities. (laughs) Is that all you've got for me? That is all I've got for you. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, an unlikely Instagram star breaks all the social media records, but first a word from today's sponsor. Well, 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 it was the Bachelor finale on Thursday. And while we've seen Blake Garvey's failed proposal and the Honey Badger's infamous walkout, nothing could quite prepare us for the 2020 clusterfuck that was Lockie Gilbert telling two women he loved them, despite the fact he knew he would have to dump one of those women on national television the very next day. 
Zara, he chose Irina. And before we do absolutely anything else, I think it's time. I think it's just time to acknowledge that you are the almighty oracle. Like you are the queen of picking Bachelor winners and you need to tell us all your secrets so that we can pick the Bachelorette winners when that airs later this week. Good call. I think this one, I will admit with this one, I do feel like... I fluked it a tiny bit more than the other times because it's much easier to say how you knew it was going to happen in hindsight. What I said to you back when I guessed earlier this year was that Mm -hmm. I had seen former contestant Brooke Jowett, who had come onto our podcast and told us the story of how Lockie kind of fucked her over, follow Bella (laughs) on Instagram. And I said to you, well, fuck, they're following each other on Instagram. I reckon they've been speaking about the fact that Bella was fucked over by him too. Then you said to me, well, Brooke's actually been following her for ages. And I was like, well, fuck, I've got nothing else. (laughs) And then when we went live after the Bachelor finale on Instagram the other night, I asked Brooke, because she was watching, if she could give us some love heart eyes, if that was true, if she had bonded with Bella about the fact that we're both fucked over. And she gave us four love heart eyes. She did. I don't know if that proves absolutely anything. And if Channel 10's listening, we're we're not asserting that Bella broke her contract at all, of course, either, Zara. I do want to posit one theory from listener Edith. She was shocked that you yet again, I think for the fourth season or the fifth season in a row, got the winner correct. Edith and her sister think you might be a witch, not an oracle, (laughs) and that you manipulate the ending while on this podcast. Can you please explain if that's true or false? (laughs) You do have witchy vibes. You have a lot of witchy vibes. What's a witchy vibe? Just your confidence. It's like when you say it, it's almost like you put something out into the universe and the stars realign to make sure that's exactly what happens. It's too creepy now. Like selecting the right winner three seasons in a row would be impressive. I feel like I should put money on whoever you say now because you are that bang on with who you pick and I hate gambling. No, but I do. I will admit, remember I fucked it with Honey Badger because I picked Britt Hockley and she didn't win. No one won. I, I didn't see that coming. But the thing with but the thing with Honey Badger is it was the first season that you didn't know, that you didn't know who to pick. And you were like, I don't feel strong vibes for anyone. So but that I was did, even yeah. creepier. I'm try- look, I'm trying to be modest. What I will say <laughs> is that it's never the most obvious one. It's never the one they're trying to shove down your throat early on. So if Bella is in the okay. promo, it's not going to be Bella. Okay, and I tell you, it was in the promo. I read it was in all the promo. No, but Bella was the magic music, the end one. Bella was the one they were shoving down people's throats, and I think you can never jump on that bandwagon. And I tell you this every season. Anyway, let's actually get into the conversation (laughs) that we want to have because I did find it just a remarkable set of circumstances to watch play out when you have a bachelor telling two women that he loves them and then the next day having to dump one of them. And I think I said to you, Mish, before we watched this episode, the only way that I will have seen this as appropriate is if he was kind of nervous with the second girl and kind of set it to fill a void and felt awkward and it just kind of came out. But what happened Mm. is one day he told Irina that he loved her and the next it didn't just fumble out of him. He wrote it in Sharpie on his arm, which was a very (laughs) pre-planned conversation to have. If anyone's wondering why the fuck he did that, I don't know. The one thing that made sense was when he first met Bella, she told him to wear his heart on his sleeve. He took that quite literally and wrote a paragraph to her 
on I his mean, literal arm. I don't want to get real technical, but like that actually wasn't on his sleeve. It was on his. That's not your sleeve. <laughs> yeah, it was your forearm. <laughs> he wore his heart on his I arm. Not on I his. I was sleeve. kind of disappointed. I'm like it would have been very impressive if he wrote it on his actual shirt. Like that would be real commitment. Show some sacrifice. But I agree with you. I think it's inexcusable. Like if you say something in the heat of the moment, I have a little bit more leeway with how I process that. But if you're pre-planning to tell someone that you're falling or have fallen in love with them on purpose the day before you know you're going to dump them there's no excuse for that like this wasn't just a bad thing to happen to Bella and a shitty thing for Lockie to do it was something that was then broadcast across the country like this was humiliating for Bella he knew he was going to humiliate her so why the fuck did he set it up like that like there's one it's one thing to lead someone on like I remember last year with Matt Agnew we were saying why was he kissing Abby on the beach like that like why was he leading her on and being so provocative with her and being so intense with how he was kissing her and going about it that was one thing it's another entirely to be like I'm falling in love with you, write it on your arm and then the next day put it back onto Bella and say, oh, I didn't see a future with you. You were never clear with me with what you wanted. Like the way he handled this from every angle and every degree was shit. A hundred percent. And I think that's what got me most is in the finale and in the hours before he made his final decision or said he made his final decision, he acted so tortured and spoke at such length about how he didn't want to hurt anyone. And the reason that he was so upset was because he just didn't want to hurt someone and someone's going to get hurt. And he was so paralyzed when he was speaking about this. But here is the thing. You can mitigate that pain by being smart and by being mature. And he was neither. I think if you're that torn up about hurting people, don't deliberately lift their hopes to a level where they're not just going to be heartbroken, but they're going to be confused when you dump them too. Like you might not be able to ease someone's heartbreak. I think that's inevitable when you go through a breakup, but you can mitigate confusion and you can encourage closure and his actions did neither. And I think that's what annoyed me so much. Isn't it also so interesting that the network, Channel 10 and Warner Brothers, tried to hinge Lockie's public image of him being a courageous man. Like this is a man who skydives and who goes on adventures and was on Survivor like Lockie is so full of courage he has a massive tattoo on his chest that reads strength and honor he is the quintessential courageous man I find it so interesting that in the one display of courage that he really needed to show up for in the season which was dumping Bella he completely faltered and took the most cowardly option of not even using his words I thought that was such cowardice to break up with a woman by sobbing on her shoulder not standing in front of her, crying, but using your words to say, I'm sorry, it's over, I haven't chosen you. That was probably one of the most aggravating scenes that I've seen in The Bachelor, particularly Bachelor finales, that if you're going to break up with someone, do it like an adult. Don't do it in the easiest way possible where you don't need to say a word. You can just make her fucking shoulder wet while you cry on her. Yeah, 100% because it is so interesting to me. In any other scenario, I'll be coming on here saying it's so, so good for us to see men cry on TV. And the reality is it's still good for us to see men cry on TV in kind of any form that it takes. But crying that from the minute Bella arrived meant she had to learn of the breakup not through his words but through his tears and she had to therefore comfort him and I think it is so completely unfair to center yourself in a breakup when you are doing the breaking up I understand the sentiment too that oh like (laughs) everyone's kind of dicks in 2020 because we're in the middle of a pandemic and maybe we should go easier on people and we should be kind and I do believe that we should generally be kind but 
I think part of the reason that I feel like I'm going kind of hard here and maybe you are too is that I feel like so many women listening to this have dealt with a Lockie in the past and have felt completely gaslighted by their actions and I think it speaks so much Mm. to how these men only ever want to be seen as a good guy appear as a good guy rather than actually do the things that it takes to be a good guy. And what I mean by that is they don't ever want to hurt anyone or be seen as hurting anyone. And that actually manifests in them being unable to be honest and mature about whether a relationship has legs or not. And it's not about them trying to mitigate pain. It's a selfishness we don't talk about enough. Them wanting to appear like a good guy makes them a worse guy because it makes them scared of being honest. And being scared of being honest inflames pain. And I'm tired of people playing that down. Yeah. And it means that he ends up lying and I feel like he was lying to Bella and I feel like that's one of the cruelest things you can do it's leading someone on I do want to talk about the listeners that I'm guessing will be kind of hearing us process this and hearing us go quite hard at Lockie's actions and feeling like we're not being very fair and we just need to be kind and be happy for Irina and Lockie and don't get me wrong if they're happy I'm very happy for them. I hope they have a long, healthy relationship together, that they have the babies that they keep talking about wanting to have, that all of those dreams and ambitions come to fruition for them. However, when you sign up to be The Bachelor, you are signing up to be the most eligible person in the country. You are accepting, reportedly, a six-figure paycheck for that title. Now, if you're going to accept all that stuff, you need to accept that we're going to make commentary on your dating decisions. And if you're The Bachelor, you should be making pretty good dating decisions. (laughs) I mean, you you say that, but we've also enjoyed The Bachelor so much because it's rooted in bachelors making terrible dating decisions. Oh, it absolutely is. But this is the thing. Lockie took the crown of Bachelor, put it on his head, cashed the fucking paycheck, which would have been very, very nice. He now can't run away from the commentary that comes on the back of his behaviour. And I don't want to make any comment about who Lockie is as a person. I just want to say that the way he behaved on this television show and reportedly the way he behaved towards Brooke after Survivor finished was not the best and was not indicative of the country's most eligible man. Now, I do want to ask you, do you think it's ever possible for a season of Bachelorette or Bachelor to end and for us to still think glowingly about the individuals at the helm? I feel like when we set people up on the pedestal of the most eligible woman or most eligible man in the country, almost anything they do will slowly inch them away from that title and will slowly kind of ruin this illusion and shatter this illusion that we have of them because nobody will ever be perfect and no one will ever mirror that perfect dateable person back to us over a series of 12 episodes or 14 episodes or whatever it is. Yeah, of course. And the nature of the show is that you need to lead a number of people on in order to find the person that you end up with. Like that is the nature Mm. of the show. So I agree with that to some degree that we'll always be a little bit disappointed in whoever is at the helm of the show because of that fact. That said, I'll go back to our original point and say that no one is telling you or forcing you to tell two women you love them the day before you need to dump one of them. I think the one other thing that I want to touch on, Mish, about the finale that did frustrate me was this idea that Lockie kind of perpetuated that any woman that was worthy of him or that he was going to end up with had to fit almost completely into his life. And there was a scene in the pool with Bella where he kept saying to her, where do you see us in a year? Where do you see us in a year? And he said, because I want to go kayaking in the Amazon for three weeks. Are you going to be good with that? Are you going to come with me? And I want to know, do you think that's a fair expectation when you're looking for a partner? Should you have the right 
to ask someone to fit so wholly into your life with not, without really understanding that in order to be with someone else, you probably have to compromise. I mean, maybe it's your prerogative if that's who you're searching for. I just don't know. I mean, I don't think it is. I don't think it should be. I think every new partnership should be that, a partnership. Like they should both be deciding what kind of holiday they'd want to go on and what kind of future they see together. But I'm not surprised. Like this is a man who struggled to define how he felt about feminism, not just in the moment when he was put on the spot by one of the girl's mums, but when he was then doing post interviews, he would have had hours (laughs) to think, what do I think about feminism? And he still couldn't come up with anything. So I don't think we're talking about a man who wants an equal dynamic or is used to that in a relationship. And I think another thing that played into that was this idea that whoever he picked at the end had to be a great wife. And it was almost like not just a great wife, whoever he picked at the end had to be a great wife with a bit of mum thrown in, like a a wife-mother hybrid. He needed someone to pull him into line and make sure he was making right choices and kind of telling him off when he was doing the wrong thing. And that was such a prominent narrative in the final episode. Like, who's the woman who can pull Lockie into line and not let him get away with whatever he wants? And it's like, really? We're still talking about relationships and women in heterosexual relationships as needing to pull their male partners into line. He's a fucking grown man. Last time I checked, he's in his 30s. Why does he need someone who's going to tell him off and mother him and baby him through life? And I think that really played into the unequal dynamic as well. I do kind of think it casts the Honey Badger season or finale in a little bit of a different light. I mean, I still stand by our thoughts and comments at the time that I don't think he was properly prepped for the show. And I think that's definitely on his management because I don't think the Honey Badger really understood the country's investment in who walks out together at the end. But I do much prefer that honesty than someone that will lead somebody on and then break their heart 24 hours later. Three, two, He was arguably the most famous person not on Instagram, but all of that changed over the weekend when Sir David Attenborough joined the platform and became the fastest person to reach a million followers in history. So, Michelle, I want to know, is it rude of me to want an explanation of the hype? I mean, I'm in two minds about this. I was surprised, right? Like when I heard that David Attenborough had broke this record and taken this crown from Jennifer Aniston... Of course I was surprised because in my mind, Jennifer Aniston is one of the most famous women in the world. And of course she would have held that record. David Attenborough is like a completely different kettle of fish. He's 94, first of all. He's a naturalist. Like he's not someone who screams out internet fame to me. He's famous, but a different kind of famous. And yet here we are and he got a million followers in the space of four hours and 44 minutes on Thursday. Like... He has a lot of fans and I am one of those fans. So maybe I shouldn't be so surprised. Okay, two quick things. First bit of a tangent. I'll never forget one of my favorite tweets of all time was when The Guardian had to issue an official apology for calling David Attenborough a naturist, not a naturalist, which is actually a nudist. (laughs) And they had to issue an official apology. Secondly, you say you're a fan of David Attenborough. How often do you watch his documentaries and how many have you watched? I would watch most of them incidentally. I'll put my hand up. My mum watches every single one. She absolutely adores them. So whenever I'm having dinner at her house, which of course I haven't had for months now, she will have it on in the background. We'll be eating dinner while it's on. Because here's the thing. 
I reckon David Attenborough <laughs> seems like a pretty good guy. He's 94. According to a 2013 poll, it showed that he was one of the most, if not the most trusted man in Britain. Mm-hmm. I also did some mm-hmm. Googling to try and work out, you know, the pool of David Attenborough. And there was the funniest little line on Cora. And Cora, for, the, for people who have never been on Cora, it's like reddit people just ask a question and then other people who aren't experts respond and there was a question being like why do people love david Attenborough so much and then someone wrote he's the most traveled person in human history apart from astronauts i just what? don't know we can ever ever quantify that or qualify it like how the fuck do we know if david attenborough is the most traveled person in human history Anyway, I found that I love that so much. And it made me want to know, and I know that this might make me unpopular, but I'm just going to come out and say it. I feel like the whole world is on a David Attenborough bandwagon, which is awesome (gasps) and he seems wonderful. But I just want to know that if every single person who posted his first video to their Instagram story is actually a David Attenborough fan in a sense that they seek his documentaries out or do they just like the idea of being into David Attenborough? Because I will, th- I will argue I think it's the latter and you're laughing and I think you know it's true. Is it from the notebook where it's like, you don't love me, you love the idea is of me? That I'm is like, that, that, is it. <laughs> that is it, but with David Attenborough. Because I was looking at these people's Instagram stories being like, fuck off, you do not watch nature documentaries all the time. I'm not saying you're not allowed to acknowledge that David Attenborough is funny or cool, but I think it's cool to pretend to love David Attenborough now. You know that his documentaries are on like primetime television in primetime spots. Yes, right? you're acting like these people are going out and renting fucking DVDs from Video <laughs> Easy. This stuff is on like Channel 9 or whatever on a Sunday night. Like this is prime viewing. A lot of people watch his documentaries and when they're on in the background, they're actually quite fun and quite beautiful. In the background, I think that you agree with me. I think that you actually do agree with me look I think I agree with you to a point but I think the allure comes from him having this really wholesome golden grandfather energy like I don't have grandfathers anymore both of mine have passed away I love David Attenborough because he has that in spades like he's trusted and he's wise and he's gorgeous and he's beautiful and he's also hopeful like he'll tell you hard truths about the world and how we're basically fucking everything over and burning it to the ground but then in the next sentence he'll tell you that he believes in hope and he believes change is possible and a better future is possible he is everyone's grandpa and listening to that beautiful voice feels like a cuddle from grandpa no (laughs) I mean no (laughs) what do you mean no no it just feels like a cuddle from grandpa is just a is just a funny line that I'm not going to delve into um (laughs) what I will say I agree with you and I will put it out there again that I actually think it's really lovely for people to have a man like David Attenborough to trust and to invest their energy in. I just think the pop culture phenomenon of David Attenborough far exceeds the legitimate and genuine interest in David Attenborough's content. That is all I'll say. I'm going to round out this episode by saying thanks Wait, for listening. Wait, I have one tidbit. Don't round me out. I've got one tidbit that you'll actually like. I love that as much as this man feels like my grandfather, he has the balls to have 4.1 million followers and he follows no one. I feel like that is <laughs> such a Beyonce-style move from a 94-year-old to be like, fuck you all. I'm not following anyone. I'm just here for all the love. Yeah, it is quite a Beyonce move, isn't it? Hey, that is all we have time for, though don't come for me over those David Attenborough comments, though I'm not going to change my opinion. (laughs) 
As always, as always, as always, click follow to support us on Spotify. We would appreciate that so much. Yeah, and if you find yourself in a bookstore this week, we would love for you to buy The Space Between. If you're more into podcasting, totally get it. We have an audio book too. Just go to wherever you get your audio books. I don't know, Audible? Is that where people go? Audible, Apple Books, I think, as well. Um, there are a few places you can get it, so do that as well. In the meantime, we'll be at Shameless Podcast on Instagram and Shameless Podcast Book Club on Facebook. Facebook will be back in your ears on Thursday. Okay, we lied. We're actually not quite done yet. We have one more thing we want to say. We're back. I wonder how many people are actually listening to this. Probably like 50 people are left. Anyway, guys, we're back. And we're back because you are clearly the VIP listeners of Shameless and you clearly give a fuck about every single episode because you're here right till the very, very end. Well, we would love to have your help. You can become a VIP listener by helping us and filling out our listener survey, Zara. We do this every year and it's to make sure that we understand our listeners, we understand what they like and what they don't like, and it helps us keep putting out content every day. Exactly. Michelle says that you will become a VIP listener and there really is actually no prize for that beyond our you know, <laughs> endless love and affection, but she is right. We'll pop the survey link in our show notes. It is just to make sure that everything we're doing, whether it be content or advertisers is on point and we understand exactly what you like so it takes a couple of minutes it is in our show notes and we will be forever appreciative if you are able to fill that one out you're very special thank you for listening this far in (laughs) bye (laughs) such a non-committal bye (laughs) hello guys mish here i am the co-founder of shameless media Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.